This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites, of course. Good afternoon. Let's talk a little bit about some uh, successful marketing campaigns and stuff. So um, successful marketing campaigns today are those that kind of resonate with the target audience. They communicate a clear and a compelling message and achieve the desired goals. Some of the factors that contribute to a hit or miss campaign are the relevance and timeliness of the campaign, the creativity and the originality of the campaign, the tone and maybe the voice of the campaign and the use of appropriate channels and platforms. The measurements and evaluations of the campaign is something else that we should be thinking about too. Now, we're going to be looking at how people's behavior influences marketing efforts uh, with our guest today from Canvas 8. Now, they are a global strategic insights uh, practice specialized in cultural and behavioral trends. They help big name companies uh, and they help them to better understand people, behaviors and cultures across regions. I may be corrected on that a little bit later on, but we'll find out. Now, how do they do all these behavioral economics analysis? It uses their own company's developed library platform, which is an online database of over 34,000 plus trend reports and case studies spanning 15 industries, nine markets, and five generational audiences. And this complements its human consultants, of course. So how do these insights platforms help companies in understanding their customers, design effective branding and marketing strategies or campaigns, and ultimately engage with their target audiences and grow? Now, how do marketers justify the needs for behavioral insight tools? And what are some of the KPIs to consider in terms of measuring a successful campaign? To help us out with some of the insights today, I'll be speaking with Helen Jambanathan. She's the Director of Insight at Canvas 8. She'll also uh, hopefully share with us some of the key trends that marketers should look out for to avoid or some nice examples of successful campaigns across the APAC region. Welcome to the show, Helen. How are you? Morning, Richard. Thank you for having me. Now, is there anything in that introduction you need to correct me on? No, I don't think so. I think you got through that uh, really, really well, actually. Oh, thank you very much. It's almost like I do this regularly. (laughs) Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, And for starters, just just for the audience at home, give us a sense of your role in the, um, I guess, marketing ecosystem and the pain points that you're helping um, to address for businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So we were established in 2008, so 15 years ago now, and have recently expanded to APAC with new offices in Singapore and the Philippines, which is really exciting um, for us. In a nutshell, what we do is help brands and businesses better understand people. Mm. And we do this in order to help our clients do better work from campaigns to products to new strategic directions and innovations. The list is really endless. So ultimately, what we help businesses do is uncover why people think, act, and spend the way that they do so that they can make better decisions um, with that information. So I I know you've referenced the marketing ecosystem there specifically, which is definitely a large part of where we operate, but what we do really doesn't stop there. Um, Our strategic insights helps with quite a, a big range of business needs and challenges from building brand relevance to establishing thought leadership, you know, in a, in a new sector or an, old, or an old one, sort of informing product development, campaign planning, strategic pieces, um, really anything that might require a business to become more consumer centric so that right. they can do work that is, that is better and more resonant with, with different audiences. It's really as yeah. simple as that. Right. Now, oh, sorry, I was going to go on. No, 
Please carry on. Well, I was, yeah, I was just going to say uh, a little bit on on why this is even important, uh, you know, uh, as an industry, or why I bother with audience insight at all. I suppose we, we all know what it looks like when a brand doesn't understand people and actually yeah. gets it all <laughs> a little bit wrong. Mm-hmm. One really prominent example that springs to mind that you probably know of as well is the backlash to the Pepsi ad in 2017, where yeah. Kendall Jenner handed a can of Pepsi to a police officer. Yeah. During the peak of the Black Lives Matter um, protests in the U.S., which understandably caused a lot of backlash and really hurt in, in, a, in the yeah. community. Yeah. So what we do is supply insight that directly informs campaigns and, and the strategic choices that businesses make. And this helps our clients avoid the kinds of decision chains that lead to ads like that being released. Um, mm. You know, we've been able to tell them something like, like the landscape's really ripe for brand backlash. You know, people have a a lot on the line here and, and they expect more from major brands than just lip service basically mm, mm, mm. so that's one that's sort of a, an example of it going going wrong um we also know what it looks like when brands get audience understanding just right in fact we're surrounded by lots of amazing examples from right here in the APAC region we've got incredible success stories like grab for instance who have been really closely plugged into what people need from the get-go Mm-hmm. They're a really good example of how being consumer-centric can really pay off. You know, they were meeting new needs, even creating new needs around right sharing at the start of their journey. And now they do much more, obviously. Um, if you look at their website, their, their brand promises to make every day better, which is positioning that's really compelling and speaks directly to their tired sort of urban consumer base. For sure. <laughs> that For sort sure. of thing is born out of, born out of good insights. So, you know, in summary, what I'd say we do is help people, help brands keep their finger on the pulse of culture, tracking how people are behaving and what they expect from brands and businesses. And mm. this helps sort of inspire better creativity and, and better strategic decisions. I, I suppose just before I get onto my, my my list of questions, one of the questions that I, I want to ask is, do you often have conversations with, with brands? And when I say brands, it's normally the head of marketing, CEO perhaps, who has one idea and you have to convince them that perhaps the idea that they have in their head will not translate ideally to, you know, it will not follow through the way that they think it does. And when you have those kind of conversations, how difficult is it for you to convince them otherwise? Because I know that you have to play politics to a degree as well, like I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some organizations are much more research literate and research friendly than others, as, as you can imagine. Um, and some people have been working with lots of bad research for a long time, which is also its own challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we really try and work in a, in a way that is as bespoke to our clients as, as possible. Um, you know, if we already have uh, buy-in, you know, a brand knows that they've got a, a key challenge, they know that they've got, uh, that they really have a need for audience insight, then what we do is really try and uh, uh, yeah, address that uh, mm. key challenge as, as closely as possible and sort of help them come to the a solution that they need, basically, or mm. the answer to the question. Um, if we don't have buy-in, then sometimes our role is a, is a little bit larger, and you know, we we need to sort of justify the reason that research needs to be done in the first place. Um, right. So we need to have a, big, a, a slightly larger conversation that often affects how we present the the work back to, um, right. you know, the stakeholder who's commissioned the research or senior senior sorry to all to more senior stakeholders within the brand, mm-hmm. um, because yeah, then we we're, we're doing a little bit more legwork just explaining why audience insight uh, is important or why the brand even needs to think about this in the first place. Mm. A good way to do that is often explaining what's at stake. You know, if you if you go down this path, then in five, 10 years, this is where you might be in the consumer imagination. Right, it might right. have really big impacts for your brand. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, if you stay as you are now, um, you know, you, you may be doing well, maybe in the short term, but there might be longer term risks that, that we don't see yet. 
So yeah. that's one example of just like how we try and get research sort of um, how we try and get research bought into um, by, you know, a wider organization that maybe wasn't used to working with it. Mm-hmm. Now, Canvas 8 stands out in understanding human behavior through a, a mix of behavioral science and, and culture. How would you, how do you approach these insights? And can you also highlight the role of tools like your library platform um, and this idea of the revamped membership platform in this process? Yes, of course. And I could talk about this for ages, so you'll have to stop me if I go on for too long. <laughs> no, the I like people I... who talk. I'm not going to interrupt. Carry on, please. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the first thing I'd say in response to that is uh, we're not a traditional market research agency. Right. Uh, traditional market research is uh, very focused on the research process itself rather than focused on the um, on the business and defining and uh, um, sort of answering organizational challenges there. Yeah. So brands working with market research often get back huge data sets that result in them having more information than they did before, but also often having less clarity. You know, so what do I mean by this? I'll give you a bit of an example. So with a more traditional approach to market research, you'd often get a sense of what people are doing, but not why they're doing it. Right. So, for example, yeah. for a brand, it's the difference between learning uh, that, let's say, green household goods are seeing strong growth year on year, um, and something like people are becoming more climate conscious in the aisles, which for is sure. more like an that we might produce. Now, one of those is a market trend, the former is sort of a, a trend that we're seeing, goods are flying off the shelves. The other is, a, is actually much more enduring because it's a shift that's rooted in actual human behavior, and it's mm-hmm. easier for brands to, to leverage um, as I say, to you know, to to make better decisions about about positioning, about marketing, so on and so forth. Ultimately, what we wanted to do is make sure that our work always provided the the latter type of clarity, um, work that could really inspire action, and that's one principle that directly informs our approach to generating audience insight. Now, you might also be thinking, okay, well, is people shopping green really a new thing? You know, is that going to change? Um, Are we already actually at peak climate consciousness? Are we going to see a backlash to that? Uh, We're in a recession, you know, uh, times Mm. are hard all all over the world. Are eco-friendly behaviors actually going to stick around or are they going to decline? Yeah. So another another cornerstone of our approach is that culture and behavior are always evolving. So we've got an incredibly diverse team of anthropologists like myself and journalists, economists, sociologists, psychologists from all over the world um, who are constantly monitoring signals of change in culture um, largely on on our online membership platform, um, including on on the library that you referenced, and this helps brands sort of stay future ready and stay prepared mm. for, for what's coming mm. next. So if we look out an, an insight or a behavior, you know, we also want to make sure that we're tracking for brands how that behavior is set to evolve, whether or not it's peaking, whether or not it's it's something that's new that's emergent, so on and so forth. <clears throat> now we also call our um, we call our approach uh, overall living insight, and that's uh, partly because it's always on. So we want to make sure that we're helping our members and clients stay plugged in to how people actually think, feel, spend, and behave. Um, and as you mentioned, our membership platform is really the, the best place that uh, to you know to explore this and, and what showcases this best. So we have an award-winning digital library, which is really an unparalleled foundation in the industry for tracking human behavior and culture. We currently have about, I think, over 36,000 articles on there about people's behavior across over 50 markets. Um, and we also have newer solutions, you know, within members uh, within membership, like our bite-sized consultancy pieces toolkit, which is newly launched. So it's an exciting time for us. And we also do things like live events, basically, just to 
um, yeah, get people together sort of in a in a webinar format and uh, pick apart topics of topics of interest um, every month. Excellent. Okay. On that note, let's take a short break. Uh, folks, I'm on the phone with Helen Jambanathan. She's the director of Insight over at Canvas 8. Um, they help you and businesses understand changes in consumer culture and behavior so they can help you as a brand build better stories. I've taken that directly from their website. Um, I'll be right back after these messages. Of course, you are tuned into Enterprise BizBytes. If you have any questions for us, uh, you can get us via our U Mobile uh, WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. And we are on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. We're at BFM Radio. We'll be right back after these messages on BFM 89.9. Boyish 40-something millionaires. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm on the phone with Helen Jambanathan. She is the director of Insight over at Canvas 8. Um, we're talking about a whole bunch of stuff today. Marketing trends, insights, uh, consumer behavior. And I suppose, Helen, one of the, the questions that I want to come back with right now is how just how differently we as an audience consume media differently uh, today. Um, it's much more fragmented. Uh, because of the the various avenues that ha that we use to consume, whether it's TV, smartphones, uh, whatever it is, do you have any data on how this differs amongst different generations and, and key demographics? I mean, I know amongst myself and my friends, we consume media differently. I mean, I I come from one age bracket, and I'm trying not to date myself here, and I have friends who come from a different age bracket, and we clearly, you know, uh, consume differently. What's that data like? Is it, is it what I'm observing, you know, from my own personal stories or is it, is it more nuanced than that? Yeah, there's a lot of nuance really to, to pull out between, you know, different generations and, and across demographics. You mm. know, when we're thinking about something like media consumption, I suppose the first thing to say is that there's definitely been a huge shift in our lifetimes uh, from broadcast to narrowcast, if you yeah. like, which yeah. is kind of where we are now. And, and that situation is obviously still um, still evolving. Um, just thinking about the general landscape in, in APAC, so digital ads are performing really well across APAC. You know, the APAC advertising economy is, is booming. It's set to grow, I think, higher than the, than the global average um, this year. You know, we're talking about advertising revenues jumping by about 5%. Um, and, you know, that market growth is uh, heavily powered by digital advertising, much like it is all over the world. Um, so we, we're actually seeing that. Um, by 2024, that's going to comprise like three quarters of total advertiser budgets in the region, which is pretty a pretty large uh, slice of the pie. It's a big chunk, it down, yeah. yeah, mobile advertising is obviously a huge driver of this across sort of social video and search. Search already being quite a huge percentage of budget spend for advertisers anyway. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, this sort of strong performance of the ad market could also be attributed partly to the dominance of, of social media, mobile ads, streaming ads. So um, you know, these are the ads that are doing really well at sort of uh, breaking through people's daily routines and, and capturing attention, however briefly. Um, so in many ways, our expansion into APAC as a business is an indication that we do believe in this immense potential of the APAC market. And we want to be here for that growth. Now, in terms of specific audiences and attitudes towards digital ads. So it's safe to say young people are leading the mobile first revolution in, yeah. in APAC. So that we're, we're thinking about uh, millennials and Gen Yers. Uh, women and Gen Z uh, streaming viewers uh, in particular, um, really sort of receptive to ads. You know, the, these are the three groups that are most likely to accept two or more um, ads for every hour of free content that they watch on a streaming platform. 
uh, which is quite an interesting stat, basically. That is interesting, um, yeah. Yeah, and TikTok, we can't talk about ads without talking about TikTok, mm, <laughs> but mm. that has obviously a really high ad reach in, in APAC. And Malaysia mm -hmm. is actually the country in the region with the highest ad reach for TikTok among adult uh, users. Thailand and Vietnam are not far behind. Um, we also have uh, sort of intel that suggests that female users tend to dominate TikTok in Indonesia and, and the Philippines by a larger margin that they do in um, other countries, which is not necessarily um, surprising, really. We've, we've seen lots of like um, trends in girl culture pop up on TikTok, so it's quite a friendly place for young women, really, um, to an extent. Uh, you know, I must caveat that with uh, the fact that the internet's not always a friendly place for young right. women. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, obviously, Instagram continues to have pretty high ad reach, you know, across different EPAC markets. So mm. um, I would say with the media landscape uh, fragmented the way that it is um, for brands, you know, the key to think about here is, is really how to harness uh, platform advantages, um, nailing down which format really works for your audience and, and the key message that you're trying to get across. Mm. Okay, well, we kind of briefly touched on it in the introduction. Um, it's about this idea of uh, common mistakes some of the some of, some brands may make when it comes to behavior or, or consumer insights. So they just assume that you know it's kind of a status quo and things change slowly. Some of these brands, because they've been around, you know, some of these brands that we're dealing with have been around for a very very long time. For example. Um, uh, is it difficult to convince them that things change swiftly? Do you think? Or if that's not the case, what are some of the other common mistakes that they make? Yes, I've got three things to, to say here. Um, mm. The first is that a common mistake is seeing people as consumers rather than as people. Um, right. If you see yeah. people as just consumers, you know, just like spending machines, then you're missing out on a, on a lot of context, basically. And a lot um, of you know, data out of my gym as well. Yes, and a lot of potentially more useful data than the data that you're used to or that you've been working with for, for a long time. So, mm. you know, many brands think about demographics and think about sectors rather than thinking about human experiences and human behaviors, which, uh, you know, are, are really entrenched day-to-day -day mm. things. A good sort of illustration of this is from Reed Hastings, who is the, the CEO of Netflix, obviously, who has a really great um, quote about how he sees Netflix as competing for customers' time so yeah. that their competitors are not just Hulu, Disney Plus, Prime. Their competitors are also things like Snapchat, YouTube, and even Sleep. Yes. Um, you know, yes. Which is a way more holistic way of thinking about uh, who who a brand might be competing with for mindshare, mm. for attention, for, for time over the course of a day. Mm. So that's a great example of quite consumer-centric thinking, I would say, that's clearly inspired a, a great strategy. So, you know, at, at Canvas 8, something we try to help brands mitigate uh, would be the, this sort of narrow view of people. We try to take a more holistic view, um, helping brands see people in the round rather than as data points you know, within a sector. Right. Um, a second and sort of related mistake is sort of focusing on trends or fads rather than people's motivations for engaging with 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 a trend or, or with something or you know engaging in a particular behavior. And that ties back to some of the issues with traditional market research that I that I mentioned earlier. So for example, you know, what's happening, people are in a frenzy to uh, try and get Taylor Swift tickets all across mm -hmm. EPAC, let's say. Mm -hmm. But, you know, why is that happening is actually uh, a much more interesting question. And, you know, what does that actually tell us about fandom in 2023? And what does it tell us about how people's relationships uh, are with their favorite artists are changing or the relationships between fans and creators? And how can that information be mm -hmm. useful to brands or advertisers looking to sort of build resonance with, with consumers, mm. you know? Um, so something that we try to, to do at the company is always unpick not just what people are doing, what's happening, but really 
why they're doing it and you know whether or not there there's more to the um there's more than meets the eye at first glance mm. basically there's an One entire final... sorry carry oh, on sorry. please i was going to say there's my... an entire an entire topic we could like pick apart when it comes to swifties and their devotion and that's an entire show all by itself i think yeah absolutely we've done so much work on on fandom uh you know from from quite a long time ago and it's a very very interesting time to to be a fan especially yeah. very relevant to uh to apac at the moment yeah. um and really well I could see the same for Europe. Fan frenzies sweeping, fan frenzy for live concerts is really a, yeah sweeping both continents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's just move on a little bit then. I mean, um, do you think purely judging a campaign's success based on revenue is too narrow a scope? Yeah, that's a good question. And the short answer, and this is a bit of a cop-out answer, so forgive me uh, <laughs> for, for giving it, is that it really depends. You know, it depends on what, the campaign is trying to accomplish and what kind of campaign it is, you know, above the line, below the line, what the strategic context around it is. And really essentially what KPIs have been set, um, mm. you know, by, by the brand or the, the actors behind the campaign. Some campaigns really are just to drive sales, right? Yeah. It can be as simple as that. Yeah. Um, so in that case, revenue is a key KPI and something that should be defined up front. Mm. When we work with clients, we actually spend a lot of time helping them define what success looks like. So sitting down with stakeholders, helping them work out what the, what the, the key business challenges that they're trying to solve and even building frameworks sometimes to help them identify the right KPIs to work with for a particular campaign. Mm. Um, and these can include, but are not limited to revenue. If you're looking for a more sort of general and, and high level uh, answer, then yes, obviously revenue doesn't have to be the end all be all of evaluating campaign success. It often is, but it doesn't have to be. We can also think about things like, you know, a, a campaign's uh, impact in culture and what that does for the brand. I mean, we all remember great campaigns. Uh, Malaysia has its own share of iconic campaigns that uh, many Malaysians would have grown up with. I mean, you've been thinking about jingles like Yusuf Thayo, which seems to go yes. viral. Yes. <laughs> Every year. Um, Every year with great yeah. regularity, um, you know, the Gardenia jingle is something that we used to sing in the car on the way to school. Malaysia, <laughs> truly Asia is another one. Um, yeah. The chicken rice shop is another one I can think of. You know, all these really simple jingles that stick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just jingles. You know, that's just audio-based advertising. There are so many TV campaigns as well over the years that have really struck a chord with, with audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say these what no doubt successful on the revenue front, but also incredibly successful beyond revenue. You know, mm. the the eat brand recall, uh, we're, we're talking about them now. You know, they've become part of the, the cultural um, fabric uh, of, yeah. of advertising and of, of brands in the region or in the country in this case. Um, some of them have become things like memes, which brands may or may not choose to engage with and lean into um, with, with further advertising. And these can really build loyalty and long-term, you know, ongoing customer relationships. Mm -hmm. um, one interesting behavioral principle to sort of drop in here is something called the mere exposure effect. So people are more likely to prefer things if they're familiar with them. Yeah. That's why big budget advertising, um, making a brand famous and ubiquitous and unavoidable still works and it still pays off. See some of the best examples of this, uh, you know, four good examples of this. You don't need to look any further than Nike, Coca-Cola. You know, those guys are, are masters of the craft. So looking beyond just revenue gives brands the opportunity to capitalize on things uh, beyond just revenue as well, you know, um, winning uh, attention and winning mindshare, which can be very, very important to brand building and can ultimately all ladder up on a pathway to purchase, ultimately generate, generating more revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I would say uh, it is very important 
KPI, but not necessarily the, the end all be all of the only thing that we could look at to measure success. See, that, that wasn't the short answer that I was expecting. You, you you built me up to tell me that you were going to give me a short answer and you gave me the one that I really enjoyed. Oh, so, okay, good. I, I yeah. thought the cop-out was saying it depends, which is always, uh, no, which is no. always a, a cop-out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold that thought. We need to take another short break. Uh, folks, I'm on the phone with Helen Jambanathan. She's the director of Insight at Canvas 8. We are discussing things like uh, APAC marketing trends, not just APAC, APAC Europe, I guess world marketing trends as well. We're looking at things like Insights in particular. Uh, when we come back, I want to speak about some of the um, – some of the challenges, perhaps, and some of the maybe impactful projects that you've worked on. Uh, don't go anywhere, folks. You're tuned into Enterprise Biz Bites here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Boyish 40 something millionaires, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. Uh, I'm on the phone with Helen Jambanathan, the director of, Insight, director of Insight at Canvas 8. If you want to get in touch with us, you can get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. We are on Twitter at BFM Radio. Helen, we've had a, a good chat so far, and I've really been enjoying it so far that we're at. Now, you've obviously worked with some of the biggest brands in the world, uh, and no doubt they've all come with some of their own challenges. Um, what would you say are some of the most interesting or impactful, impactful projects that you've worked on that you're able to share and what have made them um, so memorable for you? Yes, this is a fun one. And able to share is obviously, is obviously crucial there. Yes. Um, we deliver over sort of 150 projects annually, so it's quite difficult to narrow down, but I'll try and give you some of our most impactful examples. Yeah. Um, the first and, and really the, the main one I'd like to dwell on is from Headspace, which many people might be familiar with. They're a yeah. meditation and mindfulness app for, for people who don't know it, um, although they now have a broader focus on health and happiness, which we mm -hmm. actually help them develop. So just to break this down for you a little bit, what the problem was, you know, and, and what we helped them get to prior to our work with them, Headspace described itself as either meditation made simple or guided meditation for everybody. Now, they were struggling a little bit at the time that uh, we, we began working together because despite being valued at over a billion dollars and having huge success, uh, undeniable, they were struggling to continue what was a period of accelerated growth in the US. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is because they were hitting a cap on people who are actually open to meditation as a solution in the first place. Right. So of the people choosing meditation, uh, many also were not sticking around. You know, retention was a bit of a challenge. It was a bit of a dip in, dip out type thing. Now, what we helped them do was step back a little bit. So Headspace's mission and the North Star as a brand is we want people to be healthier and happier, which is pretty simple and, and pretty, you know, pretty resonant, pretty strong platform to be, to be working with. But health and happiness, you know, is a very broad, big notion. It means different things yeah. to different people. You know, it means different things across different cultural contexts and, and family backgrounds and, and people's different uh, varied situations. Happy to some people is just getting by. Happy to other people is seeking every inch of potential from their lives and absolutely optimizing that and squeezing that. Um, what we did for them was to help identify eight different audience segments based on what health and happiness looked like for that particular group. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, one group had a very stereotypically LA lifestyle interpretation of health and happiness. You know, for them, that was all about yoga, smoothies, getting in a, a wellness routine. Um, another group we called the pipe and slipper group. Uh, this group was reasonably happy, <laughs> but had 
quite unhealthy coping mechanisms. And interestingly, Richard, this was the most common group in the UK. Um, I would not be surprised, yes. The the common denominator um, among all these groups was the awareness that people needed to take care of their minds. You know, mm-hmm. they felt they needed to take care of their minds. So over the course of the project, we helped Headspace identify that their existing positioning was actually quite narrow, which was unexpected. Um, they would be better served, rather than talking about meditation made simple or guided meditation for all, to actually talk about taking care of your mind and meditation being a solution to help you with that, Which because that was the original goal that people are actually working towards. Basically, you know, off the back of uh, a big consultancy piece we, we did with them and some ongoing work, you know, they, they released their first US TV spot, which was directly informed by, by the research we did. So it's something we're pretty proud of. And that takes up a broader position on helping your mind and the different forms that helping your mind could take, uh, rather than a narrower focus on people looking to mindfulness as a tool for coping or achieving something. Right, you know, right. Meditating. Yeah. Um, they also, you know, it's now also informing product development and, um, you know, teams are thinking about ideas to help win over different audience segments. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's one case study that we're pretty happy with. Um, and I could tell you about another one if you're interested. Please, yes. Fantastic. So the, the second is from Nike and Mindshare, where we supported on the media strategy specifically for the award-winning campaign, Nothing Beats a Londoner. So... Nike and Mindshare were basically looking to better understand how teenagers in London use social media to mm. shape media strategy for this incredible piece of creative um, attached to the Nothing Beats Londoner campaign. We helped them by looking at the behavior of uh, 18 young people really studying this behavior aged between 14 to 21. Um, and we, the way that we did this was really, you know, getting on the ground and, and spending time with these young people. So we talked to them with their friends in local cafes and parks in universities at home. We got them to complete, you know, an online diary <laughs> over two weeks. We tracked their social media activity with, with consent, of course, from themselves and, and their parents if needed, from what they were posting to who they were following. Um, you know, and we, we walked around with them and sort of got a feel for, for, daily, for their daily lives. Yeah. Now, this sort of helped us understand uh, what teen life really looked like, the role social media played in that, and how that translated into behavior. So some of the things that we uncovered... Um, and bear in mind, this is, is now a little bit dated, but you can see that in principle how, um, you know, the, this first insight holds up is that at the time that we did the research, teens' social media habits were really heavily influenced by the fact that they didn't have a control over their data plans. Um, right. So uh, them yeah. were in family plans and their parents, and they had data caps and data limits that, were, that they were working with. Um, and, you know, their, their parents as someone at home probably had uh, final say about how much data was in that plan. And so they would actively adjust their behavior outdoors to save data. You know, they would be like hunting down Wi-Fi hotspots or like saying, oh, I want to flick through these reels, but I can't right now because I'm going to lose too much data on them. Um, so on and so forth, which obviously is a bit of a nuance um, that you would normally see if you think about teens using their phones outdoors. You probably just assume our teens are just using their phones outdoors all the time and they're watching YouTube, Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Instagram Reels, now TikTok, so on and so forth. Um, we also found out that uh, teens were really leading into Snapchat sort of gamification, you know, and, and keeping up their Snapchat streaks with each other, um, which led to more sort of uh, interaction and, and gamified behavior happening on the platform. Can I just rewind just for a second? That, that's interesting. Yeah. The one that you mentioned before about them, you know, potentially running out of data. Were you then observing them actively seeking out places that had free Wi-Fi? So you'd see a whole bunch of teens congregating in one area, sharing Wi-Fi. Were you you observing that as well? Yeah, it wasn't necessarily about, you know, huge flocks of teens coming together on Wi-Fi hotspots. But really what we found out was that 
Um, well, although I'm sure that happens as well, <laughs> you know, Wi-Fi is Wi-Fi uh, if you're on the go and data is limited. But what we really uncovered was the the fact that uh, having you know not having enough data was was really shaping uh, how much time they spent on different platforms, right. um, shaping which platforms they opened when. So it would mean that you know they were more likely to consume maybe let's say different kinds of video content in the home or when they didn't have a Wi-Fi connection versus mm-hmm. the platforms that they did look at or use when they were together, you know, outdoors, in places where they were, let's say, purely reliant on data. Um, Mm. You know, at the time that we did this research, Snapchat's AR lenses were really booming. Um, And actually, these provided a lot of entertainment that happened offline. You know, these weren't necessarily shared. A lot of Mm. these, you know, pictures with dog and cat ear filters (laughs) that were absolutely uh, inescapable at the time that they were booming. You know, the, these provided, these are not always uh, shared in the way that we imagine, you know, they were, they were being used, but they, and there was dwell time on the uh, on the platform and, and there was interaction and, and high levels of engagement. But uh, in terms of what people are actually doing with it, what teens are actually doing with those pictures, um, that was not always being shared in the way that we think, you know, right. it wasn't always like leading to a direct post. Um, so things like that basically helped us, yeah, nuance our understanding of, of how teens were behaving on social media. That's really um, interesting. Yeah, it's it's a good one. It's a good one, and you know, it's always interesting for us when we can get in field and spend time with uh, with consumers. As I said, our, our team is really uh, well uh, equipped across uh, lots of different methodologies, but social sciences is, is something that many of us have backgrounds in, mm-hmm. um, and so we're always chomping at the bit to try and get out in field and, and spend time with real consumers. Um, so yeah, that was that was something we did for Nike and Mindshare. Um, the campaign did really well. It it won. Um, two goals at Cannes in 2018. Um, Nike searches for Nike on Google amongst the target demographic increased by up to 400%. Um, and in some boroughs of London, which you know was uh, at the heart of the campaign, really social mentions for Nike sort of jumped by 200%. Um, wow. So that is, uh, yeah, one of, our, one of our biggest success stories and another piece of work that we're, that we're really proud of. Okay. I've got a couple more questions before, I, before we, uh, we have to wrap up, Helen. And now, um, I know you're tracking some campaigns, uh, including some by uh, a music streaming service and some other um, products. What do these campaigns tell us about the key trends in APAC when it when it comes to marketing and advertising? Yeah, one key shift um, that people in Southeast Asia really want to see right now is more localization. You know, yeah. ads that feel uh, targeted and ads that feel relevant. Um, people are really being drawn more and more to campaigns that speak to really specific cultural experiences that feel unique to each market within APAC. So one example is a Dove campaign that's recently come out in Thailand called Let Her Grow or hashtag Let Her Grow, um, which is actually on forced haircuts, which are commonly used as punishments in schools in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, this brings to light a very personal experience of girlhood that many Thai women can, can relate to. You know, the, and the campaign is also really clever because it leans into this personal resonance by inviting people to share their own experiences of forced haircuts on on socials. So it's really sort of, you know, um, looking to to build resonance in that way and doing quite a good job of it. Another example of sort of going hyperlocal is uh, from Spotify, uh, which is currently running a, a music that finds you campaign, which is spotlighting Filipino rappers who are dominating the local hip hop scene. This feels really refreshing. Lots of Southeast Asian countries have, uh, you know, very uh, well-loved uh, and often fledgling uh, music scenes and, and industries that are often struggling for, for funding and, and attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of uh, people in these countries are really looking for uh, 
uh, their own arts and cultural industries to be championed. And moving away from the perception that, you know, Western artists will always be superior and actually yeah. leaning into local artists is just as effective, if not more than more effective in many um, instances than scoring, let's say, a major foreign celebrity endorsement. Right. To, to yeah. Campaign. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say, you know, one one big shift that we're observing is that people want these hyperlocal stories and voices to take center stage a little bit more in, in advertising. Uh, and we're seeing global brands tap into this um, in their expansion efforts, you know, in newer growth markets like Apple. Mm. And I suppose that kind of in some way answers that the, the final question that I did have for you, but you, you seem to have answered part of that in, in the response to that question there. The question was going to be, you know, how are different brands and advertisers you know, tapping into shifts in consumer culture. But if, if they're looking at hyper-localizing things, it, it, it's pretty much the answer to that question anyway. So, Helen, um, thank you very much for your time today. Thank it's you very been, much. It's been a fantastic discussion. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for and, having uh, me. Well, no, thank you for, for taking the time out to talk to us today. Folks, I've been speaking with uh, Helen Jambanathan. Uh, she's the Director of Insight at Canvas 8. Uh, please do head over to their website. Helen, what's your website in case people want to chase up and find out more information about you guys? That is simply www.canvas8.com. Wonderful. Folks, if you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or you can download the BFM app that's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. Don't go anywhere, though, because coming up after the one o'clock news, it is, of course, the Breakfast Grill replay. Make sure you stay tuned to us here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.